It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Do you know Engageo? They're leading the revolution in account-based sales and account-based marketing. Engageo enables companies like yours to orchestrate human connections at scale and build hyper-growth sales engines. Let's meet Joe Chernoff. I'm Joe Chernoff, the VP of Marketing for Insight Squared. Our very first purchase when we shifted models was Engageo. Engageo very quickly became the centerpiece of our account-based marketing strategy, both the technology as well as the content they provide. Engageo's platform lets you engage the right account at the right time so you can close more deals faster. So if you're interested in joining leaders like Insight Squared in the account-based everything revolution, then be sure to visit engageo.com forward slash accelerate and download your copy of their new book, The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development, and then come back and listen to the rest of this exciting episode of Accelerate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is George Brontain, founder and CEO of Membrane, a sales effectiveness platform based out of Sweden. George, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. That's Thanks good. for having me on the show. Well, my pleasure. So take a minute, introduce yourself, maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. Yeah, in sales. Okay, starting back in the days. Back in the so, days. Well, hey, <laughs> I, sure. I, I, I've met you. The back in the days was not that long ago. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, so um, George Bontan is my name. I, um, Like you said, I'm currently running a startup called Membrane. I started in sales. Wow, that's a good question. I, probably when I was like eight, repairing bicycles in my neighborhood um, for, for a fixed amount. So you're a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but professionally, I, um, I guess my first job was selling loudspeakers uh, because I love sound. I was mm -hmm. like a bit of a hyphy nerd a, a, a while. Uh, and, um, and then I moved into, or someone told me, wow, to be a true salesman, you need to be, you need to sell books. <laughs> sell books? sell books that was the, the recommendation I, I, I got <laughs> and uh, I said well that's weird but yeah if, if you say so so I started selling the uh, the for dummies series I don't know if you sure you guys recognize it yeah so we we took those to Sweden I was working at the publishing house who sold these translated and sold the books and um, yeah that was quite fun uh, for a while then they, they wanted to make me into a, a manager for our small sales team and I would make less money and have more responsibilities so I, I quit and I started my my first company and I think I was 24 at the time and so it wasn't the more responsibility that scared you it was the less money yeah, I guess both. <laughs> so, well, but then you, ironically, you started your own company where you had less money and more responsive, total responsibility. Yeah, that was very ironic. Yeah, that was ironic, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I worked from my home and I had uh, several ideas. And the one I jumped on was creating a portal for dentists, which was a completely stupid idea. Uh, <laughs> no research made, but dentists aren't the most tech-savvy people, so they didn't even know what internet was at, at the time. So that wasn't a really good uh, venture money-wise. 
but that the one thing led to another, and and I started another another company called Upstream, and we sold software. And uh, I, that whole journey with with a company and hiring and firing salespeople was was uh, really interesting for me, and I, I sort of came to a conclusion that I was good at selling, uh, but I wasn't very good at helping other people sell. <laughs> Uh, so I was making a lot of mistakes I, and mm-hmm. I, I was specifically, I think I was assuming that people knew how to sell. I was buying into that whole concept of you're born a salesman and uh, it's something you have in your genes. And if you've sold something for someone else, I, I gathered you could be uh, selling for me and my products. But I, I learned the hard way that that wasn't true. So I... I really sat down and, and, and reflected on this and said, these people that you've hired and fired can't be the problem. Really, you <laughs> must be the problem here. Uh, <laughs> A good so self-realization earlier. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, especially hard, at that young of age. Yeah, so oh, that wasn't too long ago, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also, you're still young. <laughs> took me a while uh, to realize that. But uh, that was... Um, I guess it was back in yeah, and and 2008 or something that I came to that realization, and and then I started uh, membrane, and we get, went live 2012 with with the idea of how can we how can we clone someone, how someone is selling, and put that into a system to structure the way we sell. So that was sort of the the birth of of membrane, which is the company that I'm now um, running. So you've you've written not that long ago that you believe there's a global crisis in sales effectiveness. So what's the crisis? Yeah, it's. I mean, I was a part of it. Uh, I think uh, the, the at the center, I guess, is that the world is changing, and that we're all reading about this uh, everywhere, especially in, in our profession, that buyers are changing, the internet has, has moved everything around, the buyers can self-educate, sellers are, are not involved in, this, in the buying process until X percent has already been completed and all that. And then, of course, you have the globalization going on, so you, all of a sudden you're not just competing with the companies in your city or in your country even, but they're from everywhere now. So I think this whole situation is, is one aspect, globalization and, and uh, informa- information availability. But also, I mean, when I look at what I, the mistakes I did, those were very, very fundamental mistakes and had really nothing to do about the, the, the outer world or the, the extrinsic parts. It was more really bad knowledge about the fundamentals of selling and mm-hmm. the fundamentals of sales management. And uh, when I wrote this article, I was looking and referring to the CSO Insights reports that they publish once a year. Okay. And uh, they, the, the, the level of uh, um, people that are uh, reaching uh, their, their targets has gone down year by year. So one would think with all the new technology and with all the new books that are coming out on selling and all the experts out there, we should all become more and more effective in, in how we sell, right? But that's not happening. According, well, But doesn't one of the issues sort of controlling the variables so you can make sense out of that measurement? Because, I mean, I've, I've read the same reports and, and I mean, there's so many factors that go into that 
that number about the percent that make quota. I, I just wonder how much how much we can really learn from that that number in that report. I mean, in aggregate, I agree it's it's a little bit alarming because the number is not very high to begin with, right? I mean, we're talking about right. less than fifty percent of sales reps apparently make quota, but we also don't know you know how quotas established. You know, is are the quotas reasonable to begin with? You know, are the expectations reasonable? Is it, you know, is it, because uh, I, as you have probably seen as well, and I certainly have seen over the years in sales work, companies I've worked with and companies that, uh, or worked for and companies I work with as a consultant, that that uh, quota setting is, is, you know, difficult and oftentimes driven by kind of irrational expectations. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I think that's a part of the problem as well. How do we set quota? And a lot of times, quota is just simply set based on past performance plus X percent growth. Plus X percent, right. So, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. And, and, and yes, we should also be looking at these percentages that come out of the research with, with some skepticism, of course. But still, I think it's, it is alarming that we're not – if they're asking the same t- group of people every year, which I assume they are uh, – there should be movement in the right direction, not in the wrong direction. So I do think it's alarming, and 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 we need to look at why is this happening. So why aren't we being more effective in the way we're doing things? And I see a lot of tendency in the in selling as a professional that we try to make shortcuts. So technology, which I'm in, is is one of the maybe the the, the troublemakers. <laughs> one of the bad guys, right? <laughs> yeah, because. It's often sold as some kind of shortcut. So if you just buy our technology, wow, you will just increase your win rates and you will boost your your quota, you reach your quota every time, etc. So, but what what I'm seeing is that people are making the same stupid mistakes that I did um, before I sat down and realized, wow, I need to really start thinking about this. Maybe I'm not well, doing it right. Well, ah, there you such a key word you used, thinking. Right, because mm-hmm. I think one of the problems that we see with with technology and the you know, increasing reliance on technology and sales is this tendency to substitute the judgment of the technology for our own. Yeah, I mean, after all, this we still a person selling to a person, and while automation is incredibly valuable to a point, there is a point at which it comes down to a person dealing with a person. I mean, in business to business, we're talking about business to business, not yeah. uh, you know e commerce. So. Um. Yeah, it, it seems like we always sort of reach this, and it's, to me, this is this is ever present in sales. It has nothing to do with the current generation or how change in the buyers. Is is you know how do you get salespeople to act less robotically, to use one one phrase, or less yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. less scripted and huh? blend the technology with yeah, blend the science and the art. Of yeah. selling together to help the customer move through the buying process more quickly and make the right decision at the end of the day. Exactly, and that's a key point you're bringing up there—the buying decision. Because it's really about someone making a buying decision. And if you're in the more complex sales environment, as you refer to B two B, not transactional selling, and it will involve a lot of people. So it's not. Just so we're also, if we're looking at these numbers that are published out there, we're also seeing a trend that more and more people are involved in the decisions. And I think that has a pretty um, natural explanation because everything has become more 
more sophisticated. So the finance department, they're more sophisticated. The production um, unit is more sophisticated, both technology-wise and, and process-wise. And, and this is creating, um, especially for technology that I'm in, uh, some fear uh, and some additional risk when you're introducing something new to a system. Mm-hmm. So if you're buying technology and this, ha- if you, let's take um, ERP systems, for instance, as an example, they might mess up the several business processes within a company. So there will be a lot of people interested in that, in this decision being the right decision. So as a seller, you now, not only do you need to engage with one person, and this is nothing new really, but it's just become more obvious, I think, that you really need to hold the buyer's hand, really educate them on how you can help, how, how you differentiate yourself. Differentiate yourself. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a difficult English word. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what's the word in Swedish? <laughs> Differenciera. So that's pretty, oh, well, that's similar. pretty similar, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so I think helping the buyer buy, that's what a seller should be doing. Um, and exactly. sometimes when you look at selling, it's, we, we're looking at the activities and the efficiency of things. So how many calls have you done? How many quotes have you sent out? How many demos have you done? But we're not looking at these activities uh, in, in, a, um, in a structured way. Because if, if you're just sending out quotes and you haven't qualified properly and you haven't uh, positioned yourself correctly and you haven't understood what the client really wants to do, then you're just making yourself a disservice and probably the customer as well. So how you do things, when you do things, with whom you do things, all of this is, could feel like common practice to someone in, who has been in selling for, for many years, but it's not. It's very complicated stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, so a thought's been triggered. So we've talked about this efficiency, effectiveness, the <laughs> CSO studies, and so on. So, you know, one uh, research projection that's that's commonly talked about is, and I forget who it came from, one of the big research firms saying that that by the year 2020, that 20% of the business-to-business sales jobs will disappear. Uh-huh. All right, so we'll just put that out as a, as a data point. Yep. And then you have CSO Insights saying that the percentage of reps making quotas declining. Uh-huh. So assuming that industry in general sort of continues on its current growth path, even of a couple percent a year in, let's say, in developed economies, what it's saying is that in four years, when supposedly 20% of the sales reps have gone away, that the remaining sales reps, in order to achieve an even bigger number, right? Because it's not only 20%, it's 20% plus the growth every year that the individual rep productivity will have skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah, possibly. And, and, or, but, but, it, yeah. but that doesn't make sense, right? Those numbers don't all, you know, the, the circle doesn't, you know, it doesn't work, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't add maybe. up as, yeah, how could you, you know, how could we reduce our B2B sales force by a you know, million reps people are talking about? Uh-huh. And yet, assuming that the, the people that are left, over half of them aren't making their quota, so it means the other twenty percent are basically going to become. Well, I'd have to do the math, but at, yeah, <laughs> off the top of my head, yeah. I was going to say forty yeah. percent more productive at a minimum, and I, I don't, I don't see that happening. So I, I, yeah, I think we no. do have this this conundrum of of 
I think it's a conundrum, uh, issue of sales productivity. Yeah. More so than effectiveness. I mean, assuming one sort of effectiveness is a subset of productivity, mm. is, is, yeah, how do we address this issue of, of not only just increasing the number of reps that are making quota, but increasing the amount of revenue that each rep can produce within the given amount of time they have? Mm. But I think the uh, what's happening is also we're seeing a lot of uh, polarization of, the, of of selling. So if if you can transactionalize your sales efforts, if you don't need to have a person uh, involved, because you can make that whole buying process so streamlined uh, using technology and and and, and using information, uh, then I think that those jobs will go away. I think that's that's just inevitable. So I think that that's going to happen. We're going to see more more selling become automated. But on the other hand, if what you're selling isn't possible, or if you don't want it to be commoditized, if you want to keep your margins and you want to provide value above a commodity product, you will need to to design a whole product that is more than your core product, and you will need to offer that through professional salespeople that are led by professional sales managers. <laughs> and and I just the the whole level of professionalism in, in that chain will need to, to rise and with it the productivity. But so yes, I do think we'll see a lot of salespeople lose their jobs. Yeah, I, I actually I'm not as convinced of that, right? So I mean I think that that uh, for the reason I said before, I don't, I'm just not sure the math adds up. And certainly there is a, an increasing evolution of products that go through a life cycle or they become more commoditized and given the way we have can bring technology to bear to help facilitate the education of the consumer the customer excuse me then yeah it makes sense that there's always going to be you know maybe a long tail of products to use that term that that can be sold that way in a business to business that previously hadn't been able to be sold that way business to business mm -hmm. yeah you know, they become known well-known products and in terms of their usage and, and how they're implemented and so on, that doesn't really necessarily require a sales rep. They can actually become commoditized. But then there's new products coming into the mix all the time, right? Through innovation and so on that that still require. Yeah, definitely. And and that's where, where I think it becomes interesting because those because of the globalization and the increased competition, the requirements of those salespeople that are working in those environments will will increase significantly or will have to increase significantly i think because how you sell is becoming becoming your your last differentiator your first differentiator yeah exactly your first even yeah yeah i mean that's what i believe that's what i write about in my books it's the first differentiator yeah um so yeah i mean it, it does i mean it does call into question you know how our current sales models evolve you know even our newer sales models like the SaaS sales model and so on I mean, uh -huh. there's going to be some change. I'm not sure what that is, right? I mean, naturally, because we couldn't have projected 10 years ago we'd be at this spot where we are today. Um, but I'm fascinated yeah. by what that, what that might be. But, but in my world, I think what I'm seeing in, out there is that there's, there's so much to be done um, on the, the, the plane, the fundamentals of, of selling. Um, so if we go back to my example, when I was selling um, an IT automation product uh, to uh, IT service companies, mm -hmm. uh, that product could uh, help a, a company go from no profits to delivering 30% profits. 
which is an amazing uh, accomplishment, of course, if you could use uh, automation in that sense. But what what I did when I hired these salespeople and, and I did all these mistakes, I didn't train them, I didn't provide them with a process, I didn't really make them understand how this buying decision will be made, which the stakeholders will be, which are key to convince about what and how. So they were doing, they were just stepping on a, a landmine. So they were going to the owner, saying, hey, do you want to go from 0% to 30% margins or profits? Like, yes, please. And then they would send a quote. And uh, of course, the their tech people, when the, the CEO went to ask them, hey, I'm considering this IT automation platform, what do you think? I mean, they'd go nuts. They they would they would be very fearful of it because they thought they were going to lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. So, because of that simple mistake by the salesperson not to engage with the tech people and tell them how much easier their lives would become um, by using this technology, um, they became um, uh, a problem, so to speak, in in his uh, in the sales process. So, and I see that happening all the time. With, uh, with selling today, that that sales, especially maybe in SaaS and, and and these younger companies, they do they do demo and they quote, they do a demo and they quote, and they they don't qualify correctly, they don't they don't engage the right people, they don't understand the buyer fully, so there's so many mistakes being made and and the fundamentals being missed that I don't think we really need something new, we just need to be more disciplined in doing. The basic stuff, and I th- I'm convinced that will increase by double digits the revenues uh, for, for most companies. Okay, so let's dig down on that then. So what are the basics? What are the fundamentals that form the base? Yeah, so I, I, stakeholders is, is probably the, the, the key one. And especially now with inbound marketing, marketing automation, and what we see that you have a lot of buyers educating themselves. But who are these buyers? So what we're seeing is that they're usually someone who is tasked with finding someone out for someone else. <laughs> so the CEO said, hey, we need to really ramp up our marketing. Go find us a system of this sort. Mm-hmm. And that person goes out and does all the research and he's get, he gets captured in all these systems and he gets these salespeople calling him or her. And they're calling this person and they're speaking to the person for a whole sales cycle and they're doing demos and they're sending quotes, etc. without even engaging the people that would really make the decision. So really understanding how a, a, uh, a buying uh, process for each client would, would look like, which people are involved, what will need to happen for them to, be, to make a decision, and when should we do A, when should we do B, uh, should we do C if we haven't done B and C, B and A, etc. So just having a, a staged and milestone-based sales process is, is a key uh, thing from my perspective. Uh, and in, then, terms, of course, in terms of, because really the fundamental, as I see it, is really not identifying its stakeholders. It's the fundamental behavior is, or habit, is having the curiosity to know that you need to go find out who they are and talk to them. Yeah, uh, but if you don't, if you're not, if that's not in your... Uh, if we are assuming that you should know that, which which I did in my previous company, I was assuming they would know that. that that's common sense, right? That should any any salesperson who has selling as their profession should have that curiosity and should know that they should be doing that. But they don't always. Uh, 
So right. I think that's why we need some kind of structure, and that's where I see the sales process being important. But of course, fundamentals is a big word. So yes, of course, it's even more fundamental to have the right attitude, of course, and the curiosity to actually do those things. Well, I think that's, I mean, to me, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a trivial point, because your point is absolutely right, in terms of having the, the structure, a well-defined sales process that is a playbook, is a roadmap for, for sales reps. But yeah, what has to precede that is, is, I think, what's overlooked increasingly these days. There is an assumption that we're hiring people that have these, these basic behavior traits, basic uh, habits, basic disciplines. That So if we just manage the numbers, we sort of overlook the idea of the fact that, yeah, these people have, have some shortcomings that we can help with, that we can coach them through yeah. and insert them into this process. And this process is well-defined. We'll certainly give them a structure to help them succeed. But we have to start what I consider the real fundamentals. Yeah, of course. And that needs to be already in, when you're recruiting people and on, in an understanding of what type of person do we need in, if we're involved in, in complex B2B selling, long sales cycles, multiple stakeholders, big numbers. You will need a very different type of person than the person who's going to sell a $50 a month SaaS subscription. Mm-hmm. So of course you need that. You need to find have the right people at the right in the right place. And 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 what you just mentioned, I think, is really a hot button for me as well. And that's coaching, um, because that's something that's really not done well um, today. I think. Um, and why? And why I think the main the main mistake we're we're doing is that we're promoting the best salesperson into a manager, and we're not. Providing that person with the right training, resources to uh, become a good manager, or even knowing that that person could succeed in that role or want to succeed in that role for other reasons than than money. So uh, I think that's the number one uh, mistake. Uh, And then even what we've seen is that you can train them in coaching, but if they don't have the right mentality, if they don't want to sell through people, they want to sell themselves. Is, is that that's they're not, never going to be become good managers or good coaches. So you're back to I guess to your fundamentals. Like, do we have the right people uh, with the right motivation to do the specific job they're supposed to be doing? And and I think in management, sales management today, there's a there's a big big glitch there. A lot of people that are in sales management roles that either shouldn't be there, don't want to be there, or haven't been given the resources and the training to, to be able to do a good job. Well, you raise an interesting question. and it's, I know it's not the exact question you asked, but it, it triggered the thought in my mind is, is, okay, you said part of the problem with sales managers is we took our, our best people from sales and promoted them into management, and maybe you know it's not the right fit. So <laughs> if that's the case... So you're looking to say, okay, I'm looking to hire somebody, promote somebody from within my sales team to become a frontline manager. If you don't hire the best ones, what are the criteria you use to select one of these people to, if not performance as part of it, to become, you know, are we getting the middle people we're going to promote to sales manager? You know, they're not that great in sales, but we think they might have an aptitude for management. I mean, <laughs> that's a great question. Right? I mean, because it's, it's, yeah. yeah, there have to be some. Yeah, I think it would be yeah, very difficult to promote somebody from within 
as a sales manager, like frontline sales spot. manager, if, if, they, <laughs> if, they, the if they don't make quotas. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. That's a, that's a very interesting reflection. I think more than anything, it needs to, you need to have that will to want to help your team sell. And uh, that can be your best sales. I'm not saying that it's always wrong to, to promote the best salesperson, but I, I'm seeing that it's often wrong. Uh, and, and maybe if you have someone, in, in a mid-performer who knows, because I, I think it's critical to, for a sales manager, of course, to know the skills it takes to, to, do a, to be a successful salesperson. I think that's important. I don't, I don't think they need to be the top performer. I think you could definitely take a mid-performer who has the ambition, will, and uh, traits to become a good manager and be a good manager. Yeah, in my mind, they would have to have at least hit quota, though. Because you know you're not going to get the respect from your teammates. Someone who sets the quota, right? <laughs> if you <laughs> haven't, right? <laughs> so I think that's that's. I think another you know way also that we sort of overlook when we talk about promoting salespeople from within to be frontline managers is we we haven't given them the opportunity to find out whether it's something they would enjoy. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, the high performers. Yeah, part of the reason they're high performers they're they're kind of ego driven. Nothing wrong with that, right? Ego driven. And also ego-driven to think that, well, yeah, of course I want to be promoted into management. And they haven't really had the set of experiences to tell them, like, oh, well, yeah, that's not really for me, right? I'm much better off staying as a salesperson. This makes me happier and so on. Um, and so I've seen in some cases with companies I've worked with where we, you know, we implement peer coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, so that people that, that we think have you know, knowledge to share with other, other reps... So I almost take on some of that frontline coaching responsibility from some of the managers in terms of tactic strategies and, and so yeah. on. And you get a chance to see them in action. They get a chance to have some level of responsibility for someone else and see if they have that, that desire to help other people or just to not to say they're completely self-centered, but to help another individual succeed in sales as opposed to going out and just continuing to help customers. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great idea. Love that idea. Yeah, it's a way yeah, to approach it. That give them a taste of what they might get into, and and let them have some experience. And maybe self-select out. Yeah, and I think it's also like you say. It's, it it can also be a matter of timing. Uh, if you take uh, someone who's become a top performer and he's still, I think that the ego thing, <laughs> at least from my perspective, uh, is something that we, when we get older, we get a le- we get less egocentric. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of us, but uh, I, I think that's a tendency. And so maybe when you when you're matured into your, your role, you may you may be more interested in going into that that position as a manager and help others. While if you're still um, early in your career, you want to really prove that you can sell and be a, a great performer. So yeah, it's timing and everything. Yeah, and that, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I was going to make some wisecrack about. <laughs> Politicians don't seem to have less ego as they get older, but that's. You know, that's I don't want to get into politics. Now. <laughs> I was I was being generic. Politicians. You know, Sweden, we're a neutral country. We don't get to. <laughs> you have politics as well, though. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah not us. No, no one's immune from that. So. <laughs> that is uh, true. Unless you guys went back to the monarchy. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't think that'll happen. No, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, though you still have one, right? We do. Yeah, but he's yes. more of a PR guy now. Yeah. He, they, they. All, all of them are great PR people. Yeah, so they go out and sell the country for their salespeople. They're selling the country. 
Yeah, yeah, they should uh, definitely go buy some of my technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Membrane at the palace. Excellent. That would be a good case study. It is. Yeah. All right. No, but the fundamentals, yeah, it's, it's, it's broad. Like, you know, we can be talking about this for hours. And so there's so much to be, to be done and to be improved upon. And yeah, it's, it's really a fascinating space. Well, we'll have you back on. We'll talk about it again. So, and uh, George, now come to the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And I think you may have been tipped to some of these questions before. So we expect great answers from you. So the first one is a hypothetical scenario that I posed to all my guests and that you've just been hired as vice president of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. It's time to hit the reset button. And CEO is anxious to get things turned around back on track. So your first week on the job, what two things would you do that would have the biggest impact? Wow, good question. So um, first, do, do, do nothing. Uh, I'd say just, just listen. Uh, listen, listen. Listen to the customers. Uh, why are they not buying? Why are they buying? Uh, and then I would, uh, as, as a second action, I, I guess I would just... Uh, Brainstorm with the team to get everyone, uh, everyone's, um, everyone's opinions and ideas on the table mm-hmm. uh, to have to have uh, what I need to, to make a decision. Okay, good answer. All right, so talk to the customers first, then work with the team, brainstorm, come up with ideas for what they could do going forward. Excellent. All right, so I got some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers if you wish or elaborate. So the first one is when you, George, are out selling membrane, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Um, my smile. <laughs> that, that works. That works. Uh, who's your sales role model? That's such a difficult question. And I, I've been asked it before, and I, I, I really I wonder if I have one. I, uh, Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Okay, that's a good answer. Well, other people have used that too. Richard Branson. Um, so, what's one book every salesperson should read? Salesperson. So, not a manager. Salesperson. Well, it could be a manager, a salesperson. It doesn't even need to be a sales book. Just one book you think they everybody should read. I'll have to pitch um, the uh, Dirty Little Secrets by Sharon Drew Morgan. Oh, a good book. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, that has some some nice insights in it that are has always been relevant and, and maybe is even more so today. All right, excellent. Okay, last question for you: What music is on your playlist these days? Magic Mushrooms. Magic Mushrooms. That's a group. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a techno style. Music played loud in your car before a meeting with a client, and you you'll be pumped up. Oh, excellent! Are they Swedish? No, I I have no clue where they're from. Actually, Magic Mushrooms. Okay, they're a new one for me. I'm gonna check them out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah, my own playlist from listening to these hundreds of answers I've gathered from people has expanded quite substantially. Yeah, that's a, good, it's a <laughs> super smart question. I will I will ask start asking people about that as well oh, to yeah. expand playlist. I learn lots of new things about people and about music. So, well, good. Well, George, uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, look forward to having you back on the show again. Because we didn't get through, but a fraction of what I wanted to talk to you about. So, tell folks how they can connect with you and find out more about Membrane. 
Yeah, thank you, Paul. Thanks for for having me. And uh, so it's on LinkedIn is probably the the place I spend most my time. So just search for my name there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm George Bronton. So my first name, last name, and uh, George at membrane.com. If you want to email me. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you listen on your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, George Brontain, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.